Amen. Well, this morning before um, Pastor Brian comes and uh, gives us the week two message uh, in Revelation, I'd invite you to, uh, right where you're at in your homes um, or here with us in person, to open up your Bibles to Revelation. And I'm going to use the Bible on my phone today. And uh, if you don't know where Revelation is, it's the very last book of the Bible. So just open it to the back and then go back, you know, in a little bit past the maps and the whatever's in the back of your Bible, and find chapter 2. We're in uh, on verse 8 this week, so Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, um, talking to Smyrna. It says, and to, the, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you're rich. I know the slander on the part of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you are te- may be tested. And for ten days you will have affliction. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you as we gather to celebrate Christ, uh, Christ's presence among us. It's so nice to, to, to be live. And, uh, you know, we have kind of two different uh, tech teams right now. We have the tech team who normally supports us, and then we have another one in the back, and they're... Um, they're helping us with Facebook and YouTube and all of that, and it's so nice. Uh, even my dad's here. It's really nice. I know. Yeah. It just makes me all gooey inside. I want to thank you for being here. Last week, we started a sermon series on the seven letters of the seven churches from Revelation chapter 2 through 3. And last week, we looked at a church, uh, the church of Ephesus. And, and today, we're going to talk about the next one. Uh, April just read the, the church at Smyrna, this letter to the church at Smyrna. It's the shortest of all seven of the letters in Revelation to these churches. And, you know, we don't know exactly when the church at Smyrna began, most likely about the same time uh, as the the letter to Ephesus, uh, or the church at Ephesus. Smyrna was very close to Ephesus, about 35 miles away. And it was a major city. There's about 100,000 people lived there at the time this letter was written. Around 1930, 1930, the, the Greek name Smyrna was actually changed to Izmir. Uh, it's today the third largest city in Turkey. When Revelation was written, Smyrna was a commercial center. It was known to be the most beautiful city in, in all of Asia Minor. And, and the city was known for several things, but most, most prominently, it was known for its loyalty to Rome. Smyrna loved Rome. They worshipped Rome. And they worshipped Caesar, literally. There was actually a major temple that was built in Smyrna to worship Rome and Caesar. And pride and joy of the city. This temple, it, it really symbolized what the Christians at Smyrna were up against. These early Christians in Smyrna, they were called atheists. Isn't that interesting? By the people of Smyrna. Because they didn't worship a God that could be seen, uh, namely an idol or Caesar. 
And we need to understand this because Smyrna was, they were definitely known uh, for, for not being friendly to the Christians at this point. Uh, and, and it's going to get much, much, much worse as we'll see as time goes on. But last week we mentioned all of these letters to the churches in Revelation, they all, they all follow the same formula. And, and, and if this was a Bible study, we would look very close at what we can learn from that formula. And, and we can learn a lot from that formula. But for the series, I want to focus on just really two things, and that's the, the condemnation and or the commendation that Christ has for each of these seven churches. And remember last week, the condemnation for the church at Ephesus was they lost the love they had at first. Every one of the seven churches in these two chapters of Revelation, they each receive a condemnation. That's something negative that they're doing, um, except for two churches. One is Smyrna, and the other we'll see is the letter to the church at Philadelphia. There's no condemnation for Smyrna or for Philadelphia. Why? Because both of these communities, these churches, they're, they're in the midst of suffering. Real suffering. And Christ's message for each of these churches is, is a commendation, an encouragement for their actions in the midst of their suffering. I mentioned last week, every message uses a different title for Christ, and it's a title that fits that church's circumstance. And the title for church in this letter to Smyrna is the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. This is important because right from the outset, there is a reminder that Jesus died and rose from the grave. They need to hear this. In the midst of their suffering, these Christians in the church of Smyrna, they need to be reminded that Jesus suffered, that Jesus went through agony, died a real death, but now he's alive. Jesus understands. He understands their suffering because he has been in the midst of suffering himself. And not only this, but he wants to remind them that suffering is not the end of the story. He's reminding them of something he's learned firsthand. It's his story. And his story has become their story. I was dead, and now I live. God brought me back. God did not forsake me. God did not forget me. And when I felt alone, I was not, and neither are you. New life comes from death. This is how God works. God brings a resurrection. For Jesus for the Smyrnian church, and for us today. We have to remember, this is how God chooses to work. Christ wants to remind them there is more than the suffering that they're experiencing in this moment. There's a much larger picture. What they're experiencing right now is temporary. 
We all know that, you know, when you're in the midst of the fire, it's hard to see beyond your circumstance, beyond your situation. But Christ wants them to hear that the suffering they are enduring right now will be over soon. This is not the end of the story. Because God's at work. And God brings life. God brings a resurrection from a tomb. This letter says that the Smyrnians, they're experiencing affliction. Now, the, the Greek term used for affliction right here, it, it's like an internal affliction experienced just deep within the body. I mean, deep down, they are experiencing pain. This is a real time of suffering. There's agony within the body of the church at Smyrna. It hurts deep down in their body. Christ is reminding them that he understands. He has been there. This is not going to be the end. I am the first and the last. I was dead. I have come back to life. And then we get this commendation that he has for them in Revelation 2.9. I know your affliction and your poverty Even though you're rich, I know the slander on the part of those who say they're Jews and are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. He knows their affliction. And he pronounces them rich in spite of their circumstances. They may not look like they have anything in the midst of their poverty, he says, but but, but they have everything because they have the Holy Spirit. They have God's comfort in the midst of suffering. We don't know exactly what the suffering they were facing was, but but we have a, a pretty good idea. They were suffering economic discrimination because they chose to follow Jesus. Their family, their friends, their loved ones, those who they knew before they were Christian, had turned their backs on them because of their faith. Widespread discrimination against the Christians had not yet begun, but it was starting. And it started in the most difficult place possible. Their family and their friends, they turned their backs on them because they embraced faith in Christ. Their choice for Christ meant they lost their community Now, we need to remember, the first Christians were Jews, right? I think we all know this. And so they were kicked out of their synagogues. That's what the next bit is about. I know the slander on the part of those that say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And you have to read this carefully, what it's really saying, because sometimes we misunderstand these words and we read, well, the Jews are bad, and that's not at all what it says. It actually says the Jews are good, But there are some who call themselves Jews. But in the guise of God, they're not. They're not acting like God's special people. Christ says they're a synagogue of Satan. We think a Jew must be a Jew, right? Think about Christians. I mean, we have such a huge bandwidth among those who profess Christ. There is no universal consensus whatsoever on Christianity. Same with Jews back then. I mean, frankly, I'm embarrassed sometimes by the words and the actions of those who profess Christ. 
throughout the centuries, atrocities have been committed in the name of Jesus by people who call themselves Christian. I mean, the Crusades, slavery, the Holocaust. I mean, today, politicians will cater to Christians for votes. Televangelists, they steal money from the poor so they can get rich. I mean, just the last couple of weeks, we've had one more example of a very public evangelical leader falling. Whenever any church leader falls, all Christians suffer because people think we're all on the same page. But the reality is we're not. Neither were the Jews back then. I mean, apparently some people were calling themselves Jews, but they weren't acting like it is what it says right here. And we don't know exactly what that meant, but I have some idea because what matters for us today, though, is the church was suffering. And as we look at how Christ responded to their affliction, we have a mirror for today. There is no word of condemnation for these Christians in the midst of suffering. Just encouragement. Christ says to the church at Smyrna, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Beware. The devil is about to throw you into, some of you into prison so that you might be tested. And for 10 days, you'll have affliction. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. Just hang on 10 days. Now, in Revelation, whenever there's numbers, usually there's some type of symbolism going on. And, and on one level, 10 days of suffering, it's less about 10 distinct 24-hour periods than a reminder that suffering is temporary. I'm sure we all understand. 10 days, I mean, that can be very short or very long, depending on your situation, right? And Christ is saying, if you just wait a little bit longer, you're going to be released from this prison of affliction. But I do think there's a specific 10 days that Christ is referring to. Acts tells us, after the resurrection... Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days, right? Before he ascended. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon them on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, 10 days after the ascension. There's 10 days in between the day that Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit descended upon them, bringing them comfort. They had nothing to go on but faith for those 10 days. Do you remember the story? Jesus ascended 40 days after his resurrection, and he told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and, and to wait for power that would come on high. And, and that power came on high. 10 days later, came on from on high. 10 days of waiting. You know, if you've been in this situation, you know 10 days of questioning. Was that real? It seemed like it at the time. But 10 long days, but after 10 days, they look back on those 10 days after the Spirit came upon them. You know, after the fact, you look back and you think, man, that 10 days, that was nothing. But in the midst of the journey, time 
stand still. Christ is saying, you're not going to believe what is coming. It's more than you can possibly imagine. God has a plan. You need to have faith that God is at work. What you're experiencing right now is so temporary. I know it's bad right now, but you're not going to believe what is around the corner. That's the message for us today. Right now. Benton, Franklin County, phase one, 180 years afterwards, whatever it's been, you know, we aren't going to be here forever. We need to remember that. Suffering is part of the human condition. If you're going to live, if you're going to love, if you're going to care, you're going to suffer at some point. And the hard thing is when we suffer, we, we tend to focus on the here and now, right? And we forget about the big picture that suffering is, it's temporary. Remember the first time that you were just dumped by a girl or a boy? You know, that, that junior high world you were in just crashed right there. And you thought your world ended. Do you even remember their name at this point? I mean, 10 days can seem like an eternity while we're in the 10-day stretch. But so often we look back and we realize in strange and, and completely bizarre ways, God was working in the midst of the situation. And I'm a different person because of what I experienced. So often the darker the prison, the more light can come from the situation. And it may not make any sense at all at the time. And, and we certainly don't want to wait <laughs> 10 days to get through it. But life can come from death in ways that we would never expect while we're in the midst of the prison. I've seen this so often in my own life. I mean, in the lives of people every single day, resurrection cannot happen without a death. Christ is encouraging these Christians in Smyrna in the midst of their suffering. He's telling them that their suffering is limited and it's endurable. And he's saying the Holy Spirit's going to get them through. And the promise at the end is even if there's a physical death, they will be conquerors because Jesus conquered death. And he's going to give them the crown of life. What counts is the ultimate destiny, right? The life integrity that brings about that destiny. Now, the Smyrnians may or may not have faced death because of their faith at this point is the deal. Most likely right now at this point in their history, it was their families were turning their backs on them. And that would be so hard. The local communities turning their backs on them, kicked out of the synagogues. <laughs> they were suffering physically, economically, emotionally for their faith. But the deal was it wouldn't be very long until they really did face death for their faith. Traditionally, the Apostle John was the one who started the church at Smyrna. And not only that, John is remembered for mentoring 
a young disciple in Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. And eventually, John and several other apostles, they made Polycarp the bishop of the church at Smyrna. And he was the head of the church at Smyrna for a very, 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 very long time. On February 23rd, we know the day, the year 155, February 23rd, 155. We don't know how old he was, but we do know he had been a Christian for 86 years at this point. Bishop Polycarp was brought to trial in Smyrna. He was accused of worshiping pagan gods. Now this just makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand the more I think about this. We know Polycarp. He, he'd been a Christian for 86 years in the year 155. We know he was at the church at Smyrna when this letter was written. He was part of the church at Smyrna when they heard these words of encouragement from Christ in the midst of their suffering. One of the earliest documents of the church is, is called the martyrdom of Polycarp. It records a story, eyewitness story, of Polycarp's death. And, and I read it this week, and you can find it on the internet. It says the old man was found in a house. He was eating dinner. And he knew why they came for him. But he insisted on serving the soldiers a meal before they left his house. And they brought him to the proconsul. They urged this old man to worship Caesar, to curse Christ, and then he could just go free. And Polycarp's quote, for 86 years I have served him. He's done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? And they took him out and they tied him to a post. And he said these words, Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the knowledge of you, I bless you that you have counted me worthy of this day and this hour. I might be in the number of the martyrs. Among these, may I be received before you today in a rich and acceptable sacrifice as you have beforehand prepared and revealed. Wherefore, I praise you also for everything. I bless you. I glorify you through the eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved son, through whom with him in the Holy Spirit be glory unto you, both now and for the ages to come. Amen. And they lit the fire, and Polycarp died. February 23rd, the year 155. What was the source of Polycarp's courage on that day? He didn't back down. He didn't renounce his faith. You know, I think it goes back 60-odd years, right, when he and his friends in Smyrna received a message from Christ through John. A message to hold fast in the midst of their suffering. A message that reminded them of those 10 days in between the, the ascension and the dissension of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit of the Comforter. 
You know, I think Polycarp had heard that letter, had read that letter so many times in those 60 years that he memorized those words. And as they came to his house, as he fed the soldiers who came to take him away, as he stood before the judge, as he walked to the post, as they bound him to the pyre, he heard the words of Christ say to the angel of the church in Smyrna, These are the words of the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you're rich. I know the slander on the part of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into the prison so you may be tested. For 10 days you'll have affliction. Be faithful unto death. I'll give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. I don't know how much Polycarp suffered for his faith before that day, but I can assure you this letter was written to address very real suffering the church at Smyrna was experiencing in 95 AD. He died February 23rd, 155, 60 years later. 60 years of suffering. 60 years of holding fast. 60 years of encouraging others all the way to the end. We don't know what the church at Smyrna suffered, but we know they really suffered. And I believe over those 60 years, if Polycarp hadn't found the things in this letter to be true, if he hadn't experienced Christ's presence in the midst of his suffering, again and again, I can guarantee you somewhere along the line, he would have just moved on. At the very least, he would have renounced his faith on that day. But he held fast in the midst of his suffering. And Polycarp and the rest of the church at Smyrna all the way to today. In the midst of suffering, we can experience joy. We can experience the Holy Spirit. We're all going to suffer. That's part of the human condition. And we're in a season of suffering right now. It's true. We have to remember, this is only temporary. Ten days you'll be released. Hold fast. You pray with me. Lord, we thank you in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the tomb, that we might experience a resurrection. Lord, we pray. We pray for the comfort of your spirit in the midst of this situation, but we pray for that day when we look back and with gratitude, we thank you for helping us to hold fast. 
In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.